Dr. Carl Haas was the popular host of nationally syndicated Adventures in Good Music. You can learn more about this series on our web blog, www.classicalmusic.network. And now, here is another episode of these radio broadcasts. I have something very colorful for you today. On a recent trip to Europe, I revisited some of the castles and palaces for the express purpose of gathering material for broadcasts such as this. And I resolved then that I would like to bring you a series of programs, at least one to begin with now, of all of the musical doings uh, to give us an inkling of the treasures which were housed many years ago in some of these places, and some of the scenes which were so pace-setting for the cultural development of the country in question and also of music in general. This program is entitled, For Stately Occasions. Let me first take you to Vienna in spirit. The magnificent development of Vienna's musical culture prior to the climax in the triple classical constellation of Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven extended over a long time, a period of more than 150 years. And it was furthered, that scene, by many talented composers who were either attracted to Vienna by the artistic taste of the Austrian emperor or they were patronized there by him. And so the so-called Vienna School came about. When you travel today in Vienna proper, you find that you are drawn to, or at least someone tells you to be drawn to, the castle which is known as Schönbrunn. Schönbrunn actually means a beautiful fountain. Schönbrunn today is in the midst of the 13th district. It borders on the 12th district of the city of Vienna. When it was first built way back in 1569, it was in the middle of the country, in the middle of nowhere, actually. It was built as a little hunting castle by Emperor Maximilian II, and then later it was destroyed, was rebuilt, but it was really the Empress Maria Theresia who in 1750 not only elaborated on the existing building by adding new portions, but who really became the guiding spirit as well. So in Schönbrunn we find ourselves the famous castle of the Emperor of Austria, and we hear a composition which was written by one of those many composers who formed the, the musical entourage of the court. This one, this performance particularly, by Wagenseil, who was a contemporary, I would say, of Bach, lived well into the time of Mozart, and died seven years after Beethoven was born. Thank you. 
movement of a symphony by Georg Christoph Wagenseil, who was one of the musicians at the court of Schönbrunn at the time of Empress Maria Theresia. Incidentally, the way Schönbrunn looks today, as you look at it, is exactly the way Empress Maria Theresia left it when she had to die. In fact, it was ever since her time that the emperor would spend some time there regularly at Schönbrunn. It was also there that during the French occupation, in the early 19th century, Napoleon made his headquarters at Schönbrunn. His own son died there, and incidentally, the famed and beloved Emperor Franz Josef was born at the castle of Schönbrunn and died there in 1916. Schönbrunn, one of the great palaces of Europe with a great past, and staying in Schönbrunn for another moment, as you walk through the castle, you find yourself suddenly in one of the rooms, which to a musician means a good deal. It is known as Spiegelzimmer. That's the room of mirrors. And it was there that in 1762, the Empress Maria Theresa and her family listened to two wunderkinder, two miracle children, namely Mozart, who was six years old at the time, and his sister Nano, who was nine. And it was there that they, these two children performed their first significant concert. Perhaps we ought to celebrate that event, or recreate it at least, by listening to the first movement of the first symphony by Mozart, which was written only a year after his visit to Schönbrunn. <laughs> Thank you. 
Symphony Number no. One by Mozart, which was written when he was still under ten years of age, and in close proximity, as far as time was concerned, to the time of his first visit to Vienna and to Schönbrunn, the castle, and the Empress Maria Theresia. From Schönbrunn, we go to France and to Versailles. It was only recently that I revisited Versailles and tried to gather both visually and also by way of recording, some of the spirit which even today pervades that great castle. The Palace of Versailles, as you well know, was uh, an architectural uh, pace-setting event for so many directions of architecture throughout Europe. In fact, it was the French court of Louis XIV which insisted on musical performances and as you visit Versailles today, you can see how many different places there were for these musical performances, not only indoors and in various places of the castle, but also outdoors in various uh, portions of the great park which surrounds the castle. Louis XIV insisted on music, and he gathered together a staff of musicians, which indeed was an illustrious aggregation. I would like to have you listen first to a composition for drums only, which was written by one of the famous Philidor brothers. Now, the Philidors were an entire, entire musical dynasty at the court of France and the court of Louis XIV. There was, first of all, the André, the elder Philidor, and his brother Jacques, the 
March for Four Drums by André Danican Philidor, which was written specifically for a function at the Court of Versailles. the atmosphere which is created by just four drums. The March for Four Drums, timpani, by Philidor, André Danican Philidor, one of the dynasty of musicians at the disposal of Louis XIV at his court in Versailles. In fact, it was one of this very family, this time Anne Philidor, one of the women of the clan, who is responsible for bringing together what is known today as the Concert Spirituel, the spiritual concert which really became the forerunner of our modern concert, public concert. But what you heard surely was for a majestic ceremonial occasion at the court. Louis XIV is known also at Versailles to have commanded that music be played at dinner time, not as background. He listened. He made sure that he listened because he had engaged as his music master at the time one of France's musicians well-liked, well-respected, Michel Richard de la Lande, who was an exact uh, contemporary of all of the early musicians of the time. He died in 1726. 
I'd like to bring you at least a portion of one of these symphonies for the Supper of the King, Symphonie pour les soupers du roi. Now, whether or not you choose to eat while you listen to this, that's up to you. Just remember, uh, Louis XIV didn't use it as background music. <laughs>
I'm not at all sure if the king always knew what he was eating when he listened to music like this. Perhaps it was performed between courses of a great meal. At any rate, it was Louis XIV at Versailles who commanded this music by his music master, de la Lande. Symphonies for the suppers of the king. Versailles, much alive today and very often the scene of special concerts, but surely during the reign of its greatest master, Louis XIV, Versailles became the focal point for many musical as well as other um, cultural occasions in France. This is a program visiting in spirit some of the castles and palaces which were the scene of uh, much of musical development in Europe, and the program is entitled For Stately Occasions. Mm -hmm. 